0: All right, good morning, North Shore. Apologize for that. I went to leave my phone like a responsible person, and then I remembered that part of my intro is on my phone. So we're back. Uh, happy Thanksgiving for those um, that stayed, had it adjusted, traveled, whatever might have happened, as Josh said, we're, we're grateful uh, to still be able to gather as our church family. Um, as we kind of celebrate the season of family and giving and being together. And as weird as that is, um, God is is faithful to allow us uh, to do this. And and as we um, come together this morning, this is our second of this year student infusion service. They've both been during the COVID season, so we don't know what a normal one looks like yet, but... um, Part of our dream with this uh, is slightly different than for those of you who've been here before and it had a different name, student takeover. Um, Our dream with Student Infusion is to just celebrate and remind ourselves and kind of learn what it is to to be one church. Um, I had at different points in my journey just this kind of sense, whether it was stated or implied, that As a young person, I was not there yet. I was not invited yet. There was this magical age at which you could be a normal part of the church. Didn't know what age that was. I just knew it wasn't me. And uh, we want to kind of step into that a little bit as we're growing up and we're raising and discipling generations and families and young people and students and all of that. And we are together one church Uh, called to God's purpose, God's mission, right, to disciple people, to passionately pursue, to radically love, to uh, compassionately serve, and to relationally disciple. There's no age requirements on those things. And so as we partner on these types of weeks, I wanted to highlight just specifically in this season, as we can only have two people on stage at a time and all that weirdness, that we are so grateful to the young people of North Shore for everything that has happened um, during this season for our students, our young people to step up and serve in huge ways. Um, You've probably seen that if you've come to campus, that there's a lot of them in the lobby. Uh, If you're online right now, two of our cameras are currently uh, two of the three cameras here are being manned by young people. Um, and we've got a couple students yeah, doing some weird stuff back in the sound booth there. Uh, we've seen them here. There's going to be some more of our high school students coming up during Advent. So we are grateful to be part of this journey together. Um, they are grateful to you. I am grateful to you, those who are older, for being an example, for being a welcoming church, for letting us be part of this together. Um, So as we go forward in what student infusion looks like with hopefully less restrictions in the future, um, just know that we are grateful to be one church. So as we continue through our Ruth series, we are halfway through. Um, I asked my dad a couple questions about Ruth leading up to this. For those of you that don't know, my dad is also a pastor uh, down in Olympia. And I was reading and preparing for this particular passage. Noticed some things that I hadn't noticed before. So as I do sometimes, I I reach out to my dad. um, And I did it in in a little bit of a... It wasn't fair. I asked him. I just, you know, no context. I just text my dad. Without Googling, do you know who Ruth's mother-in-law was? Now, that's not really fair because it's kind of a trick question. Ruth ended up becoming married twice. They both had moms, so she has two mothers-in-law. One of them uh, is Naomi, very well known. I was asking about the other one. And I thought there might be some funniness there. What I was not expecting was this trick question. He was an orphan. I was like, R- Ruth uh, is a, not a he. N- neither, I believe, was his, her mother-in-law. I said, Bible Ruth, Who, who's an orphan? And then my my dad's reply was, didn't know his parents or they died or something. Oh, you said in-law. I didn't know he married. I'm so confused at this point. (laughs) Follow-up text, 30 seconds later, Ruth grew up in an orphanage. I'm like, we're not reading the same Bible at all. (laughs) So I text, uh, Ruth married Boaz. So Boaz's parents, I didn't even wait for a reply. I just said, anyway, because I'm thoroughly confused now. Boaz's mom was Rahab, something we're going to get to a little bit later, in this sermon. And so my dad replied, "I need glasses." <laughs> I thought you said, "Babe, Ruth." <laughs> my bad. I'm not making this up either. This is not, I didn't get this at like the Christian store. So I said, "Where are your glasses?" He said, "I'm wearing them. Evidently, I need new glasses." And then pointed me to the genealogy in Matthew 1.5, which I was already reading. So, thanks, Dad. Um, so here we go. There's going to be some family uh, things going on in Ruth chapter 3 here. We're, we're halfway through. This is a short book. This is a short series. Uh, there's a lot in this story. And so you've been introduced to Ruth. Uh, through Sanjay a couple weeks ago, and then we unpacked some of her character from Scott last week. Now we get to chapter 3. We're going to do the first few verses here, just kind of reading and and reacting to it for a second, and then we will transition. Um, So again, this is Ruth chapter 3. She's been introduced to us as um, a Moabite who married into a Jewish family while they were in Moab. And and as you remember, all of the males in that family died, and so they came back to Israel. Uh, And then she's beginning to meet this man named Boaz in chapter 2, who happens to be um, a field owner, a relative of theirs. There's some potential connection and security and things there. And so we find ourselves partway through this really interesting story in chapter 3, and Ruth's Uh, original mother-in-law, Naomi, is going to play an important part here. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak... And go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. All right, who has some questions? (laughs) This is weird. Uh, Well, here's here's verse 5. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Okay, if you've ever felt like you're not good enough for God, uh, be encouraged. The, the people in the Bible were not necessarily geniuses. Right? So go do this crazy stuff. And Ruth says, okay. Um, th- this, is a, this is a strange thing. And, and then she's going to do it. And it gets weirder. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk... And his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Okay, this, this is unusual. <laughs> This is a strange uh, story in our Bible for us to deal with and to reckon with. And and these verses are in the Bible uh, to remind us that if you've ever said you should do what the Bible says, maybe you should think about that phrase before you just drop that on somebody. You have to be careful with that because this right here, I would not necessarily recommend uh, without getting weird, just think of the elements of this story. It's, it's night. It's dark. We've got a guy working out in the field all day and then into the night and he sleeps at his workplace. And we've got a girl who's washing and putting perfume on and her best clothes And then uh, finding him while he's asleep and and moving the sheets, but only a little bit. And then just laying down. And and it's at this part in the story that we realize that Pastor Scott has done it again. He gave me the worst passage in this series. (laughs) Uh, But in all seriousness, Boaz wakes up startled. (laughs) Right, right, Verse 8, that's probably an understatement. At midnight, the man startled and turned over and there was a woman laying at his feet. Well, yeah, this is, this is an unusual thing to have happen. Now, this is actually a form of an engagement proposal. But it's strange even for them. There were some cultural norms in ancient Israel that, that would have made this make a little bit more sense to people like Ruth And Boaz right they would understand the norms of those who work in the field and and why you would be asleep on the threshing floor and this thing of laying down at feet and and they would have some context to be able to speak and understand the clues and the the unwritten rules that are going on here but even in that it's it's still a little bit different Um, Ruth approaches and actually essentially proposes in an unusual and risky way to Boaz. Now this is not the first time they met. We saw from Scott last week that they have been getting to know each other and there is uh, some connection and some interest there. Um, but, but, But this is a strange thing. And as the story continues... In verse 10, it, it ends very well, but that might not have been the case. So in the middle of the night, as Boaz wakes up and he's confused, verse 10 of chapter 3, Boaz says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So that word redeem is going to carry uh, some some major significance, and that will actually be more unpacked for us next week from Mark. But but Boaz awakens and responds really, really well. He accepts and says, I have noticed, in fact, word about you is that you are honorable, you are worthy. I will do what you say. In fact, we're going to be above reproach. We're, we're going to go before others and see the best way that we can handle this. Now, I had to have some help in this chapter uh, because this is just, there's so much cultural going on. There's so much ancient context. It's a strange story for them and for us. And, and um, in reading others and, and having some of this unpacked for me, it, it, became clear that how Boaz responded was actually the least likely outcome. Just think about the context of, uh, first of all, being asleep after a hard day's work, waking up and there's somebody there at your feet. They're dressed up really nice. There's perfume. There are so many different outcomes that could have happened ranging from uh, potentially very dangerous to simply the moment when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just like your brain is still asleep and you see things that don't make any sense but you're like I'm too tired to care and you go back to sleep. There's a whole range of things that could have happened and yet Boaz awakens and understands the right approach that Ruth is taking, understands the best way to respond, says, let's take care of this together tomorrow. Once I learned that, once I learned this was essentially the best possible outcome for this kind of uh, risky offer, it sent me back through the book for, for another look. This was an unusual proposal, especially for this particular mother and daughter in law combination. Um, it could have gone very poorly, but instead they get the best possible outcome. And, and down the road, she's going to get that word that Boaz used redeemed. They're going to get a family and security and some level of their previous pain wiped away and dignity restored and security and an infinitely more hopeful future. And so all of that comes to pass, and it's this very unlikely but, but perfect scenario that happens. And that kind of reminded me of, of something Scott said last week and sent me back through the book for another week or for another look because Scott drew our attention to verse 3 of chapter 2 last week and this idea about God's providence, and this thing that kind of looks like biblical irony. And if you remember this verse that our attention was drawn to, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, so Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. If you were here last week, do you remember that? It's, It's this perfect aligning of situations and circumstances. And then this phrase that the Bible just drops, and she just happened to be in the field of Boaz. And written in such a way that you know it didn't just happen. That's there on purpose. To draw our attention to things are turning out really well. Just like the end of our proposal here. Things are turning out really well. And so this is a short book. Was kind of curious about that if you, if you read through Ruth once, it's a nice story, and you're like, these people do some really weird things. Okay, it's, it's a pretty book, I guess. Read it again, you're like, oh, this, this is kind of cool. They're trying to get engaged, and, and, and some, some uh, pain gets wiped away. Some things are restored. This is good for them. And then you read, read Ruth again. I was like, wait a minute. Why, why do good things continue to just happen? How does this keep working out well? Surrounding Ruth and Boaz, it's, it's like everything was meant to be. <laughs> it's like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> the, the point of a biblical narrative, this book for example, as a story is being told, real events involving real people told in a, in a narrative way, when this is in the Bible for us, in, in the form of a history, of a story, of, of the events of real people, and someone is choosing to write Ruth's story as they reflect on what happened, as they reflect on their God, it's, it's essentially a theological reflection of what they've seen, what has been happening surrounding Ruth and Boaz, what God has been up to. It's a reflection, not just about some historical events, but also the way that God was involved. So so when we come to, to, for example, like in verse 3, when she just happened to be in the field, or or even in, in our lives, do you ever have those moments when you're like, oh, cool, pretty amazing how all that just happened to work out well. Pretty amazing how things turned out. And I think when we have those kinds of moments, there's, there's really only two responses. It's like that phrase, there's only two types of people in the world. There are those who see the coincidences and attribute to the activity of God, and then there are those who don't. Right? There's an opportunity to, to be Aware of what God is doing and to notice this as something else or to just say, well, this is a lucky day. I uh, probably my favorite flight that I've ever been on um, was one coming back up from California and coming into SeaTac. So just all the way up the West Coast. And it was like straight during sunset. And so we were above the clouds, nothing but Mount Rainier. It was amazing. Come down through the clouds, get the bottom half of Mount Rainier and the sunset on our left. And I noticed this thing as we went past SeaTac and we did this incredible turn over the bay, just like right at the Ferris wheel, right at the ballpark. And I'm, I'm like, this is really cool. And then I look back to the plane and everyone on the plane has their phones out. Everyone's just filming as we're descending through the sunset. And it was so beautiful there's pink and orange and all of this the the Mount Rainier has never looked better and there's all these things I I needed that flight I need things like that because for me those are unmistakable God moments those are reminders that this didn't just get here And, and and I have to have those to kind of retrain myself because I am prone to do what what we're getting at in here not to do, which is just to say, what a nice way that things turned out. <laughs> Isn't it cool that this happened this way? But I needed that to, to retrain my brain to give God credit. Do you ever ignore God? Or do you ever avoid Him? Sometimes we do it in really big ways. Sometimes when we feel guilty or or just don't want to deal with it, we can kind of turn off an understanding or a relationship with God. But we can do it in really small ways, too. There's a way of going about life in, in the language that we use in the vernacular. We could come up with a worldly explanation for everything. All the lights were green. The day was great. This business deal just totally came through, right? We all got along. This, uh, the job application worked out perfectly. Whatever. There's a, there is a way of talking about every part of our life and leaving God out of it. We could do that. And we are, I think in this culture, we are so trained to use our secular mind well that we can do that. And we're pretty good at it. We can find science and logic and rationale in everything. We can go through the whole day without giving God credit. But there is a pattern in the book of Ruth of observing that God is at work and making an intentional effort to observe when and where and how God is at work. And it's really, really cool. It's one of the major points that the author of Ruth is trying to get across for us. So I'll give you an example because some of it is in what we just read. But there's some before and after as well. The first one occurs uh, at, at the beginning of the stories. we're getting introduced to these characters. In chapter 1, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, when they returned to Bethlehem and Sanjay did such a great job with this verse. But in, in chapter 1, verse 20, Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So the first example is actually a negative one. And and, and as we're introduced to Naomi, she says, God caused me this pain. Not a phrase that you're probably unfamiliar with. We can be uh, inclined to blame God. For the way that things turn out in our lives. And Naomi does just that. She says, I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. He did it. Okay, so there's a direct one. A specific one. Then uh, Ruth shifts to what we saw earlier. That's in chapter 2, verse 3. When there's this kind of subtle. It just so happened that Ruth was around Boaz. And you know. It didn't just so happen. Now there's a later one. Naomi's back. Later in chapter 2, verse 20. And Ruth comes home and she's like, Hey, I was at this field. I met this dude named Boaz. She's like, Boaz? We know Boaz. We like Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers so after attributing the negative circumstances to god naomi also attributes the positive to god as well and says he's not forgotten us may may this man be blessed by the lord who st- still remembers us even in our pain Then we get the passage that we had this morning, this chapter 3, with this strange proposal that really, it, it doesn't say it, but you come away with, wow, it just so happened that this really weird story that is hard even for us in 21st century America to make sense of, it just happened to work out well. So we've got this pattern of there's an explicit God did this, and then there's a subtle, it just happened to work out well. And then Naomi says again, God did this. And then in Ruth, it just happened to work out well. But there's more reflecting in Ruth. We're going to jump ahead just a little bit here to see one of them in chapter 4, verse 13. Now, spoiler alert, the proposal went well. Ruth and Boaz get married. Uh, It's not a long story. You probably even saw that by accident. And so in verse 13 of chapter 4, so Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife and he went to her and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then here comes Naomi again. Uh, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. So there's more reflecting on what God is doing in their lives. Specifically, the, the Lord allowed Ruth to conceive. Now, we don't use that language, Right? Got pregnant is our phrase. We don't ever say the Lord allowed us to conceive. It's a way of reflecting on God's hand in the details of their lives. And, and as it happens, so there's another one of those, this wasn't just any son. There's actually a lot of focus on this family and on that child And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And yes, that is King David, one of the most important people in the history of Israel. And for us on this side of the Bible, we're also meant to connect the dots that from David came Jesus through that line. And so this is an important family tree, right? And so as we're reflecting this morning on God in all of the details, God in every detail, every step of the way, we're meant to think of that in Ruth's life in particular as he's aligned certain things and he brought her to Boaz and he's made things turn out well. We're also meant to think that God is also orchestrating the big picture. God is bringing things together in a way of eternal significance as he's specifically involved in the family lineage of Jesus Christ. So we've seen a lot of details, but but this part here is the big picture that God has also been in the entire time. And, And it's last here because this is in part why the author of Ruth wrote Ruth, to bring us to the fact that this this was a crazy story that brought about a great, 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 great ancestor of Jesus himself. Now, it's important for us because, like some of these other reflections, we've seen Naomi looking back on what's happened to her, and we've seen the author look back on this story in general. A family tree... Obed, Jesse, David, all these things. A family tree is also a reflection. People don't tend to really care until it's over or it's big enough where you can find significance in it. Let me give you an example. Tobias and Ollie Ham were a nice Christian couple from northern Kentucky. They raised a Christian family in the mid to late 1800s. That was their legacy. But they also had a son named Mordecai Ham, who became a pastor at the age of 24. And his preaching had an emphasis on uh, avoiding alcohol and abuse. 33 years later, Mordecai Ham was preaching at a very small revival where on that Sunday night, it led to the conversion of Billy Graham. And then we have some of those moments oh right there's things that happen where we we don't know see or even care sometimes about its significance sometimes until years and years later but these little things that god is weaving into our lives these little ways that god is at work just simply by a couple of people in kentucky being faithful in raising their children Just simply by a man answering the call to ministry and to preach. I think what we are encouraged to consider through this story is patience with God's plan. Patience with God's plan, one, because it does require patience, two, because there is in fact a plan. God is about plans, He has them, He's good. At them. He's very intentional. Sometimes what we want is to be at the end of the genealogy, right? The end of the family tree, where we can just wake up and say, wow, look at all the great things that God has done. But what about the journey to get there? What about all those steps along the way? What about the bad things and the good things it takes to get there. We're such a fast-paced people. We're such a have-it-now mentality that whenever a hard thing happens, right? For for me, I know this. When a hard thing happens, I'm already envisioning what it's going to be like on the other side to be able to look back at how God got me through this hard thing. But I'm already trying to live there and not actually go through what God has for me. So sometimes we want to be at the end. But, but as we see in Ruth and as we see in these types of reflections, that it doesn't just happen quick. We are called for patience with God's plan. So this is November 29th. This happens to be the first week of Advent which are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Four-week period in the church calendar leading up to Christmas Day uh, where we do some different things to prepare ourselves. I I love Advent. Absolutely love it. Uh, It might be in part because I'm way overzealous about Christmas in general, and I sure did put my lights up about four weeks ago. But also, I love Advent because it dives right into this ancient biblical understanding that God is above the coincidences. It, happy accident it is so demeaning to who God is. The son of God come to earth to save his people from their sin. That's a huge big picture and we can understand that God is at work in that. But at the same time, son of God, born as a baby, in a stable, in a small city. And to this this particular Mary and Joseph family whose ancestors were these crazy people who don't even know how to get engaged correctly. Well, that's God at work in the little details too. Every step of the way. Nobody else writes that story. Only God. I think, Ruth, especially as we consider the example of Advent as we begin this series, of hope and of expectation, is that waiting on God can be very difficult. It's a pure definition of faith lived out. I think, we can try hard to get good at what does it look like to be a person of faith like today. But over a long period of time, that, that can be hard. It is difficult to have faith today, and then tomorrow, and then the next day, and then another one after that. And we still can't go back to work, and we have to have faith the next day. And we can't gather with our families, and we have faith the day after that. And we aren't entirely sure what God has been up to for two, three, four months now, and we have faith the day after that. But these types of stories are for us to remember that in looking back, we are encouraged by what God has done. And it gives us and our faith fuel for the future, a hope in what is to come. Ruth is a reminder for us that in whatever we go through, and right now, even in this age of COVID, but in whatever personally you are going through, God is at work. And God has demonstrated time and time again that he is at work in the daily, small, weird details, and he is at work in the big picture as well. Ruth is also a reminder for us That Christmas was no accident. Christmas didn't just happen. God thought this up thousands of years ago. God works out small and big for you and for me. It might be that we need to help each other reflect on that. Like we see Naomi doing. And we see... The writer of Ruth doing as they're looking back through their stories and saying, "You know what? That God was there. I'm going to use that language. God caused this. God brought this about. God's doing something, and we need that so we don't lose sight of the internal importance of Jesus Christ. We uh, can help each other in that as we read, but even in our language with one another as we draw from this example here of, of noticing beyond the coincidences what God is up to in the details every step of the way. Uh, and so I'd like to invite a couple of our students, Madeline and Sula, up as we take this thought into Advent, which is an old word that simply means expectation. As we look forward in this weird way to the coming of Jesus Christ even though historically we're looking back to the coming of Jesus Christ but we step into some of these stories where even if you don't know what's happening yet we can take from what God has done and we can say I know God's up to something. And we get to partner in that learning to wait on God. Uh, so let's pray and go to advent together God uh, we come to you again on another morning on another Sunday Um, maybe things have changed significantly for us in the last few days few weeks maybe things haven't changed at all and one of those might be causing some distress as we wait Uh, But we are reminded this morning, God, that you are who you are always. And as we've seen from our worship through your words in the book of Ruth, you are faithful. You are hard at work. Help us to see the details, to worship you, to learn to wait on you. In your name we pray. Amen.